0: hey
1: everybody how's it going this is hub and welcome back to another episode of titan up the defense a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline as i believe i just mentioned My name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay, I suppose. A little bit tired lately. See, we've had house guests this last week, and it's been awesome. I've had a really good time hanging out with them. They were all very considerate guests. But within the first couple of days of the visit, it became apparent to me that my wearing pants inside the house muscles have atrophied significantly over the past, I'd say, two years or so. And I had forgotten what a full-body workout wearing pants inside the house is. I mean, the muscles aren't completely gone, it's just that, really, I've been thinking of wearing pants inside the house as a sprint rather than a marathon. And, uh, yeah, I'm fucking bushed. But you guys didn't tune in to hear me talk about whether or not I may or may not be wearing pants. For that, there's our sister podcast, Tighten Up the Defense After Dark. So, how's about I start talking about a comic book now? Without any further ado, let's uh do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Thomas Furchalk. The trench coat and fedora is a de disguise for Ben Grimm, Vic, Isaac, and other bulky tough guys. I heard it all began with Bogart on You Must Remember This. Or maybe hear from Hub in his synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Thomas. Defenders, number 124, October, 1983. Darkness on the edge of time. Written by J.M. DeMatteis. Drotted by Don Perlin. Inked by Kim DeMolder. Lettered by Janice Chiang. Colored by Christy Scheele, And edited by Anne Nesenti and Carl Potts. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Namor the Submariner. Silver Surfer. Beast. Gargoyle. Iceman, The Vision, Scarlet Witch, and, in one panel at the very end that has no bearing on the plot of this issue, Angel, Valkyrie, and Moondragon. Previously in The Defenders. An indeterminate but seemingly very significant amount of comic book time ago, an elf with a gun known as Elf with a Gun started popping up in interstitial segments and killing random strangers. Then he got hit by a truck and died. Hooray! A bit later on, a mysterious government agency called in a bunch of the Defenders' friends, enemies, and acquaintances, including Mutant Force, Hellcat's asshole ex-husband, and Jack fucking Norris, to testify about their experiences with our non-team in a secret hearing. Jack fucking Norris vowed to warn the Defenders that the secret agency was out to get them, But then the matrimonially-minded meathead just kind of wandered off and hasn't appeared in this comic book since. Hooray! In more recent Defenders news, some alien weirdos who live in a strange dimension beyond space and time decided that the Defenders represented an existential threat to the universe. These mysterious weirdos who called themselves the Tribunal sent their emissaries, another elf with a gun and an amnesiac robot nurse named Luann Bloom who used to work for Nighthawk, to kidnap Steve, the Hulk, Namor, and the Silver Surfer and show them how bad they fucked up before putting them on trial. Meanwhile, the Beast had decided that the Defenders needed more, which is to say some, rules and structure. Since Hellcat and Son of Satan had left the non-team to go get married, and Valkyrie was off in Asgard helping Odin with an issue somehow related to the badass bald psychic space ninja, formerly known as Madame McEvil and currently known as Moondragon, Beast figured that he should be leader of a new restructured Defenders team, built around himself, Iceman, and Gargoyle. To facilitate this transition, the Hirsute Hero attempted to recruit his former Avengers teammates Vision and the Scarlet Witch. This duo of do-gooders seemed uninterested in coming out of retirement, but before Hank could officially ask them to join up, they were attacked by a trio of supervillains who were intent on kidnapping the Vision and delivering him into the clutches of the evil organization known as the Secret Empire. Together, the heroes managed to rebuff the kidnapping attempt and captured the would-be android abductors. GADZOOKS! Will fighting alongside the defenders convince Wanda and Vision to once again embrace a superheroic lifestyle? Will this issue succeed in imposing a coherent narrative onto the mean-spirited non-sequitur that is Elf with a Gun? And just how bad did the OG Defenders fuck up that it necessitated a tribunal of godlike time travelers to put them on trial? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, nope, not even a little bit. Surprisingly, yes. And real, real bad. Elf with a Gun takes Doctor Strange, Namor, Silver Surfer, and the Hulk, on a little temporal field trip to the year of 2387, and shows them what the planet Earth looks like. It's not great. The world of tomorrow is a desolate, barren, post-apocalyptic hellscape. Which is disappointing, but if you've been paying attention, not particularly surprising. What is a little bit surprising is that according to Elf with a Gun, the Earth's unfortunate condition is not due to the culmination of humanity's history of questionable decision-making, but rather is the specific result of some dumb shit that the Defenders did. Namor is like, Okay, so it seems like the surface dwellers are pretty hosed, but the oceans are probably still pretty great, right? Elf with a Gun teleports them to a different location, and it turns out that no, no the oceans are not still pretty great. In fact, they're totally evaporated. Predictably, Namor does not take this news particularly well. As the distraught Prince of Abslantis bellows at the heavens while clutching fistfuls of moistureless dirt from what was apparently once the ocean floor, Steve casts a spell which seals the elf in a sort of a mystical spirograph drawing, and is like, Okay, what happened here, and why do you think it's our fault? I'm fairly certain I haven't evaporated the oceans. That seems like the sort of thing that I would remember. In answer to the supercilious sorcerer's query, the giant disembodied head of one of the space weirdos from the tribunal appears in the sky and is like, I thought you'd never ask. Steve is like, I must say, being on this side of a giant disembodied head suddenly appearing in the sky is a tad unsettling. Is this why no one likes getting my astral summonings? Hulk, who currently has the intelligence of Bruce Banner, is like, Well, that's one reason. Before the Hulk has a chance to elaborate, the gang is transported to the dimension that the tribunal hangs out in. They find themselves and Elf with a Gun standing before several imposing pedestals, upon which the members of the tribunal are seated. At the base of the pedestal stands a second Elf with a Gun and the Luan Bloombot, the latter of which appears to be visibly distressed by the proceedings. The shadowy figure seated atop the central pedestal is like, We are the tribunal. Silver Surfer is like, We should probably tread lightly here, guys. My old boss Galactus mentioned these guys to me before. They freaked him out a little bit. And that's a guy who munched on solar systems when he was feeling a little snacky. Namor is like, Fear not, surfer. As ruler of a vast undersea kingdom, I am quite well versed in diplomacy. I shall be the soul of discretion. Then he faces the members of the tribunal and is like, I demand that you assholes immediately tell me what's happening. Imperious Rex! While this outburst may indeed have been diplomatic by the Submariner's standards, it went over with the Tribunal about as well as you'd expect it would. The main Tribunal guy is like, Demand, huh? Interesting. He bangs down a gavel, and the OG Defenders suddenly cease to exist. Several seconds later, the quartet of confused crime fighters blink back into existence and find themselves once again standing in front of the tribunal. To say they found the experience unnerving would be an understatement. Steve is like, I thought a barren, desolate earth where the oceans had evaporated was bad, but a world with no Steve? We must do whatever we can to ensure that nothing like this ever happens again. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Beast, Iceman, Gargoyle, the Scarlet Witch, and the Vision turn Vision's attempted kidnappers over to S.H.I.E.L.D., which at this point I think either stood for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division, or possibly, so hey, it's extremely late. Did anyone come up with a cool acronym? No? Then let's just go with S.H.I.E.L.D. and we can figure out what it stands for later. Anyway. Once the prisoners are carted off, Beast turns to Vision and is like, Hey buddy, I know you said you didn't want a hero around anymore, but since those jerks are trying to kidnap you, you should probably hang out with us and join our team so, you know, we can protect you. Vision is like, Nothing doing. He and Scarlet Witch go inside and slam the door behind them. Beast is pretty bummed out that his first recruiting drive was such a bust. Back in the weirdo pocket dimension that the A-Story takes place in, the main tribunal guy addresses the still-shaken OG defenders and is like, So bearing in mind that we have now established that we can erase you from continuity with the merest thought, how do you feel about exposition dumps? Steve is like, Um, I guess that depends. How do you feel about exposition dumps? The space judge guy is like, Oh, we love them. Steve is like, Oh, then so do we. The judge guy is like, Good answer. He goes on to explain that the Tribunal is an omnipotent, nearly omniscient organization that has always existed and can pretty much do whatever. They usually leave the universe well enough alone, but if they see a big enough fuck up happening, they'll intervene and try to fix it in a way that doesn't interfere too much with the time stream or whatever. A little while ago, they spotted something super squirrely was going on with Earth. They did a tiny bit of half-assed googling about the planet, and somehow came to the conclusion that since most Earth cultures had folk stories about some sort of elf-like creature, elves would be pretty unobtrusive spies for them to use. So, they whipped up a big batch of elves, and set them loose on the planet to yoink anyone who might be connected with the upcoming crisis out of the time stream, and see if that fixed things. That's what the original elf with a gun was up to before he got hit by a truck. But even before this accident, it seemed like the plan wasn't working. Removing strangers peripherally related to the cataclysm wasn't doing the trick. But from the information that the tribunal had gathered through their agents, they gleaned that the inciting incident was somehow related to the defenders. At this point in the story, Namor forgets about the tribunal being omnipotent and tries to punch them. Doesn't go great. The tribunal guy takes a millisecond to swat the enraged amphibious monarch out of the air, then continues with his exposition dump. The tribunal's next step was to gather more information about our titular non-team, so they set up a fake government agency to have clandestine hearings about the defenders and sent summons to people who had interacted with them to testify. They also sent the Luann Bloombot to spy on Nighthawk. When her role in the investigations is brought up, the Luann Bloombot starts freaking out. The robot had believed herself to be a real human and had fallen in love with Kyle Richmond. The realization that she a is a robot, and two might play a role in defaming the legacy of her beloved Kyle, is too much for Luann. She starts crying robot tears and repeating the phrase "Not true, not true, not true, not true." It's kind of heartbreaking. Silver Surfer is like, "Look, whether she is a robot or not, this testimony is causing Luann trauma. It is unnecessarily cruel. Can she leave?" The tribunal guy is like, Sure, whatever. Will one of you elves with guns turn that robot off and haul it out of here? One of the elves flips a switch on the crying robot and deactivates her, then drags her from the space courtroom, saying some creepy-ass shit as he does so. The other elf with a gun turns to the defenders and is like, Sorry about my clone. He's a real asshole. Steve hovers up to look the tribunal guy in the face and is like, Look, you're your everythingness, I'm trying my best to pay attention, but can we please skip to the part of the story that's about me? Otherwise, there's a fairly good chance that I'm either going to fall asleep or just start singing songs about myself in my head. The tribunal guy is like, Yeah, okay. As near as I can figure it, it goes down something like this. Suddenly, the room fills with a vision of events that will take place in the near future. Steve is walking home and brooding with sullen self-importance, when suddenly he looks up and sees a strange object streaking through the sky. He flies off to investigate and finds that an alien spaceship has crashed into a mountainside. After casting a translation spell, Steve learns that the leader of the aliens has fallen ill and that the other aliens have kidnapped some humans to study them and use as guinea pigs to try to cure the earth disease that has stricken their beloved ruler. The aliens feel bad about the abductions and are trying to keep the anal probes to a minimum, but Steve still isn't too keen on the whole human kidnapping thing. He goes into his astral form to investigate further and see if he can figure out a way to help the aliens cure their leader without using human test subjects. Unfortunately, the aliens spot the sorcerer's body, which is perched atop their spaceship. They zap Steve unconscious and take him captive. When Steve wakes up, he sends out astral summons to Namor, the Hulk, and Silver Surfer. Future astral Steve is like... Hey guys, I've been captured by some aliens. I need you to come rescue me, but try not to bang up the aliens too bad. They seem like pretty cool guys who are just in a tight spot. Maybe after you rescue me we can lend them a hand, okay? This seems like a good plan to the rest of the OG defenders. They lightly bust into the alien spaceship and carefully punch the aliens. After they finish gently beating the shit out of the crew, the gang frees Steve from his stasis pod. Future Steve is like, Now, to help these wayward extraterrestrials, hmm, does it seem a bit quiet in here to you? The rest of the gang agrees that for a bustling spaceship teeming with distraught aliens, the place does indeed seem a bit on the quiet side. They start to poke around and are shocked to discover that the reason the ship is quiet is because it is no longer teeming with aliens. The crew of the vessel have all committed mass suicide. Well, shit. That would significantly reduce the amount of bustling going on. Hulk stares horrified at the pile of alien corpses, and is like, What happened? Good question, the Hulk. Good question. To be continued. Then Elf with a Gun breaks the fourth wall, directly addresses the readers, and tells us to buy the next issue. Fine. But I'm only doing it because it has a really cool cover. Not because you broke the fourth wall to tell me to. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey. If you were a replacement member of
2: Kiss, what would your persona and makeup scheme be? First, I didn't know that they had different personas. That did they have personas that went with their costumes? Like the cat guy acted like a cat. And well, I don't think Gene he always Simmons acted like a total douche.
1: <laughs> yeah, Okay, as <laughs> I could tell, Ace really acted like he was from space. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then when they brought in the replacement members, it was uh, Vinny Vincent was like the. Ankh guy, the Egyptian warrior. He was from ancient Egypt. Uh-huh. Had a good time. Okay. Bruce Kulik, I don't remember what his shit was. I know Eric Carr was a fox instead of a kitty cat. Oh. So like similar but a little more aggressive, less mm-hmm. domesticated.
2: Okay, well this is gonna blow your mind. Okay. But Ace really can't really replace Ace, but no. if if I had to If he steps down. Yeah. And this is, like I said, this is going to blow your mind, but I would be, I would replace him and I would be an eagle. Oh, that's pretty good. Because birds are, you know, I find them a little scary, but I think. Well, you want, you're you, going for scary. You're going for scary. Right. And if you're going to pick a scary bird, you should pick an eagle because they're just going around stealing fish from other birds <laughs> and being jerks. Yeah, I think you would right?
1: fit right in. Yeah. I think you kind of need to put that out there if you're going to be working
2: alongside Gene Simmons. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good call. Thank you. How about you? What would your uh, secret kiss persona replacement oh, be? Oh, gosh. Um, I think maybe Orca. Like, we talked about that the other the Ooh, other black
0: day. Black and maybe white. That, yes,
1: black and white mm-hmm. color scheme. Paint. Terrifying. Yeah. But cute. And, uh, you know, I like to eat shark livers. And hunt them for sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, but my rock and roll onstage persona would. Yeah, no. Be no. a very elaborate stage show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they bring out, like, a uh, styrofoam great white shark, and I burst through it, and, like, grab a section of styrofoam that looks like a liver, and, ah, you know, while I play the bass. Uh-huh. Because I'm replacing Gene Simmons. All right, we, we could actually have fun with that. And like, we, we could just be like, it could be like a ship of Theseus kiss situation where we're playing alongside Eric Carr and Vinny Vincent. Oh, wow. Pretty good version of Kiss we just put together. Well, the podcast doesn't work out. <laughs> At least we got a backup plan. It's important to have a backup plan. It is. Yeah. If we've learned nothing else. Right. My safety school is a Kiss replacement band. I like that. Well, speaking of majestic quartets, like ours would be. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about this comic book that has a very majestic quartet on the cover? I do. Corey, what did you think of this comic book?
2: Oh man, the cover is so good. It
1: is awesome. Yeah, just really cool looking group shot of Beast, Gargoyle, Valkyrie and Angel. Who I don't think we see at all in this issue. I didn't think so either. It turns out in the very last panel there is essentially a preview for the next issue where Mm -hmm. you see a tiny background figure of Angel. But other than that, not only does he not appear in this comic book, he has never appeared in a Defenders comic book. I was puzzled. Understandably so. Valkyrie also does not appear in this issue except I think in a similar capacity in the final shot, there is a background figure character of her. And even Beast and Gargoyle are only on two pages of this book. That being said, they do look awesome on the cover. Beast especially. It is a less bulky version of Beast, and it makes him look more intimidating. Like, you know those pictures of, like, kangaroos where they're looking super buff and ripped? I guess so. It's kind of like that, or like, you ever see a squirrel stand on its hind legs and it looks like it's got like a billion abs? No. I've seen a squirrel stand on its hind legs, but I didn't notice any abular definition. Maybe this is not every squirrel, but my sister took a picture of a squirrel <laughs> that was standing on its hind legs and that
2: motherfucker was ripped. Well, you can imagine, right? The The core strength they need to race up and down those trees. and Yeah, they're doing like parkour from day one. Mm-hmm. Chittering at the same time. It's a full body workout, oh, chittering. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, running up and down a tree. Mm-hmm. Plus,
1: these are L.A. squirrels. My sister lives in Los Angeles. So, oh, they probably you know. had work done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what Beast looks like. There's something more feral looking about him somehow when he's like leaner,
2: like an L.A. squirrel, like an who's L.A. Had squirrel. Work done.
1: Yes, who's had some work done? <laughs> okay. Can you think of anything more intimidating than a human sized L.A. squirrel who has had some work done? I guess only if he is riding an orca with an eagle on his shoulder. <laughs> we are going to have one hell of a live show. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there is something about seeing a less bulky version of Beast that really does somehow emphasize his kind of feral look. And you can see kind of a similar thing with Gargoyle. It's weird because they are drawn less large than they normally appear, but somehow it does make them look more intimidating. Mm-hmm. And really leans into the horror aspect of the character design. And then you have Angel looking incredibly noble and just like majestic Whoa. with his wings spread, kind of like your face makeup would be. Mm-hmm. And then you have Valkyrie just looking really haughty with, with like a, a H and a U. And yeah, a with G. a G-H. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, She is also very attractive in that, but she is also just looking, like, kind of dismissive. It's a kind of uncharacteristic facial expression that she's got, but it totally works. Like, she's just kind of above it all, Mm -hmm. you know? But in a pretty badass way. Yeah. It's a great cover. It has almost nothing to do with this issue, which makes me wonder if maybe they were a little bit behind schedule with the storyline that they were trying to establish, because clearly. They are clearing the deck of the old Defenders and ushering in the era of the new Defenders, which is going to be the title of the comic from this issue forward. So technically, this is the last issue of the Defenders.
2: And man, did they pack a lot into it. They did. It is a very exposition-dense story,
1: very prose-heavy. It was doing some clever things. It is attempting to basically tie up all of the loose ends from the previous 123 issues of The Defenders. I think it does a pretty good job with it. It does it in a pretty clever way in terms of what it establishes. Like, oh, here's the explanation for this thing that was left dangling. Here's the explanation for this thing that
2: was left dangling. I appreciated it. I think probably a little bit more than I enjoyed it. Hmm. That's a good way to put it. I was trying to sort out my feelings for this one, which are complicated, because Mm -hmm. when I finished it, I thought to myself, wow, that was impressive. Yeah, it was a lot of reading. Yeah, it wasn't really narratively
1: satisfying, but it was, oh, this is some really clever puzzle solving that you did, which, yeah, I'm impressed by it. They managed to actually make sense of the Elf with a Gun storyline, and- I don't know if you can hear the air quotes that I was using when I said storyline, but it takes this random insert character that was essentially a non-sequitur in the Steve Gerber run and does build a storyline around it that makes sense, but it's all through telling, not showing. Everything that we learn that was tying up the Defender's Loose End stories is done in essentially a lecture or a PowerPoint presentation that the tribunal is giving where it's like, okay, so you probably thought this didn't make sense, but here's what was happening here. And yeah, like I said, it's impressive. I think they did a really good job. I appreciate that they were able to do that. I would have liked it much better if either they had left some of them just dangling and I don't really care about what Jack Norris was doing in the meeting with Mutant Force or whatever. Like, great job. You, you did clear that up. But if you're going to address it, I would rather you did it with a story than a lecture, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the whole second half of the comic book is essentially Doctor Strange and the original Defenders, I don't know, having a flash forward? Because it's not a flashback. We find out that they fucked up the whole planet when they got involved with some future aliens who had a space crash...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they all suicided, mm-hmm. which is starting to seem like a running trend with J.M. DeMatteis' work, Alien Races Committing Mass Suicide. It is the third time th- that has cropped up, and that's a pretty big number. We had the uh, Angel guys. Yeah, you had the Depressive Speedo Angels, angels oh. and then you had also Overmindies. Race. Mm-hmm. Like they tried to conquer the world and then it looked like they were done for. So they, you know, pulled a Hitler in the bunker and mm-hmm. offed themselves and all hopped into Overmind's mind. And three's a, a lot of times for that to happen in, granted, a substantial run on a book. I, I think this is probably what is 30th issue,
2: something like that. But I don't know, that happening once every 10 issues seems like a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I guess. They'll explain later why.
1: Yeah, we are promised a giant-sized issue for the next one, which is going to finish wrapping up all of the old Defenders business before presenting us with the new Defenders. And I want to be looking forward to it more than I am. I gotta say I'm just looking forward to getting through it, because I'm like, once you finish doing that, I am interested to see the story that you're going to present with the new Defenders,
2: but... It just seems like it's going to be a lot. It does. Um, I'm glad, though, to know I don't need to waste more time trying to read alien speech backwards, hoping that (laughs) there is some shred of meaning to it. Yeah, I spent some time doing that, too. (laughs) It's like, that's the usual trick, right? Nope. Okay.
1: I don't know if it's even the usual trick. It happened once, and now I keep wanting it to happen every time. I mean, it's happened more than once in comic books, but in The Defenders, it's happened once. Zatanna always speaks backwards, and there was an issue of Beowulf, which was a 70s comic that didn't last very long, where a sorceress character says a magic spell that is her saying, Tennis anyone? Backwards. Which was a fun joke that I found.
2: Oh, that's nice.
1: But... Yeah, I keep looking for it in these pages, and I feel like I've looked for it like four or five times now with uh, DeMatteis' speech. And it isn't something he does, but I'm going to look every time. Mm-hmm. Like, one time I was really drunk, and I put my keys in the freezer. And now every time I can't find my keys, I check the freezer. It's not there again. Mm-hmm. That was a one-off thing. Mm-hmm. But,
2: yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, solve a puzzle one time mm-hmm. in a certain way. I'm going to go back to that.
1: So speaking of puzzle solving, let's talk about the puzzles that were solved in this issue, the loose ends that were tied up. Such
2: as, how could anyone love Kyle (laughs) (laughs) Richmond? Good point. Turns out, it was a robot. uh, To me, that whole wrapping up of that character's trajectory was probably the most disturbing. Luanne Bloom? Yeah. Because, like, we're supposed to, she's dehumanized, right? She's a a robot, but she's still treated as, like, a human woman. Well, and in these comics, especially, the lines
1: between robot and human are blurred a lot. Because we also see the Vision, who is part of a happily married couple in this. Mm -hmm. And he's a robot man, too. Mm -hmm. And whatever else, she is either experiencing emotion or a very convincing facsimile thereof. And you see Silver Surfer expressing empathy for her in a way that the comic book, by and large, doesn't. Like, she is, as a sad robot, treated as kind of a sight gag. And it's especially disturbing doing that with one of the few female characters in the book. Given this series and comics in general's tendency to not treat women as characters, but rather as objects, seeing
2: such a bow put on that, like, no, she literally is an object, and even creepier, like as one of the shitty elves is dragging the unconscious robot off to the scrap heap, he's making a comment about what a bummer it is that she's not more elf-like so because otherwise they could have sex. Yeah. And I, I yeah. get they were trying to make a weird joke about a shitty elf or something, but it felt really
1: gross. It absolutely did feel gross. And you even have like the one elf saying about the other elf, yeah, that guy's a real fucking creep, but underlining it doesn't erase it you know exactly. It feels weird to say this, but I think maybe my favorite version of the loose end tying up that happened in this was the shit with the elf with a the gun. They really did make it make sense that you have a a storyline where an elf is showing up and killing random people and that was supposed to be just I think a little bit of dark non-sequitur humor that Steve Gerber was doing and that gets retconned into being Well, they're these agents of this very powerful force who is trying to fix the timeline by erasing people from it so that you don't get whatever butterfly effect was undesirable. And it kind of works. And I actually really, I think maybe my favorite part of
2: that was just how bad the tribunal fucked up by making it elves. I like that too. That's that's what I was going to say. So you're presented with this omniscient, nigh omnipotent force right that is Mm -hmm. basically the the fix-it guys of the multiverse right and they're like well turns out we fucked up because whenever these elves show up people freaked out (laughs) i'm like oh yeah weird little elf with a gun shooting people why would people freak out
1: but i like the idea like in my head i was able to totally put together the situation of like all right so we did a little bit of research and we found out that every culture has some version of elf so we figured elves must be a real thing that are everywhere. And then we took what information that we had about elves from various sources. Like, turns out they're good with ranged weapons. They uh, dress like Santa's helpers. They're assholes. They're short. They have little pointy beards. And we just put all of that stuff together. And it turns out that was maybe a mistake. hmm But you can see how they would get to that point doing lazy half-assed research and making the assumptions that an omnipotent being would make if they did not have context. Mm -hmm.
2: And I had a lot of fun playing
1: with that idea in my head.
2: Yeah. I did a little research of my own, by which I mean I searched for something like, are elves the universal archetype for about, Mm -hmm. I don't know, six minutes? Yeah. And, um... I didn't get much further than Celtic folklore and Lord of the Rings and the mm-hmm. Indian Warhammer stuff, so I hope the Tribunal did more <laughs> mystic Googling than me. I don't think they did. I don't think so either. No, because they're lazy and they're
1: arrogant, and that makes sense for their characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sent me a text that was, uh, you did a search, and the first thing that popped up when you said, are elves, was, are elves real? So apparently a lot of people are looking that up.
2: Yeah, I don't know how the autocomplete with Google's algorithm works. If we're going on the assumption that it takes what is most commonly searched for, mm-hmm. that's pretty unnerving. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, like a bunch of kids that just saw the Elf, like the Will Ferrell movie, and they really want to believe that sure. thing. Apparently, there was a different Will Ferrell movie. I haven't seen it, the
1: Eurovision movie. My niece and nephew are visiting, and they both really liked that. Mm. And they said that it's really weird. The movie was set in you know, a stylized but regular earth reality, but elves are real in it. Hmm. And it's like, well, they are playing a band in it that's from Iceland. So I can see if they just did a little bit of research, they're like, well, I didn't think Bjork was real either. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. As I said, the other main bit of loose end tying up we get is way back in I don't know, issue eighty something. There was a series of government hearings that involved Mutant Force and Jack Norris that just didn't go anywhere. It just got dropped. And now we find out that was them trying to, it was like, okay, well, we sent our elf to remove all these other people from the timeline. That didn't do the trick. So we decided to take other people to this black box room that was just outside of reality and interview them about their experiences with the Defenders, and that's what that whole scene was about. They assumed it was a government hearing, but that was really us doing that. And yeah, it does make sense of that dropped
2: storyline. I really appreciated that. What I appreciated most about that was being reminded of what it looks like when Shocker is sitting at a table attempting to clasp his hands, but he can't (laughs) because he's just got those lobster claw fists. Oh boy. What a goof.
1: Total goofball. (laughs) I was delighted to see Peepers again. Oh, Peepers. <laughs> Just sitting at that table, wishing he had some grapes. Because Peepers
2: loves grapes. <laughs> he does. He loves <laughs> them so much.
1: It's probably a homeopathy thing. Like, oh, a grape looks like an eyeball. So if I eat enough grapes, I'll get even better
2: vision. Is that a homeopathy thing?
1: I think it's so... like, like cures like. So uh, an eyeball
2: uh... looks like a grape. So, so, so it you... should cure your eyesight. Eat a bunch of mushrooms and walnuts you get a big brain and uh
1: what's the mushrooms for
2: do you want a big dickhead? That That's. Right? i think peepers is like he's like <laughs> i got i got i want to be smart i want to see good and i want a big ding dong <laughs> yeah makes sense so
1: yeah i mean we saw him being fed the uh the bundle of grapes but mm-hmm. uh they're probably not normally called a bundle it's a bunch of grapes that's when he was being fed uh-huh Probably that was just after he finished eating a big bag of walnuts and, uh, yeah, big
2: bag of mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, peepers. Homeopathy doesn't work. It's weird. The more (laughs) diluted something is, the more effective it is. That's a homeopathic thing. Yeah. I had a roommate who tried to explain that to me. She was studying it. Oh, dear. To go, like, be a homeopathist. How'd that work? I just couldn't get my head around it. She yeah. was like, no, it's the less is more. So like the more diluted, the
1: better. No. I was like, that's
2: not. Okay. If you have a beer. <laughs> yeah. And you put that beer into five gallons of water. Mm-hmm. and you drink that water, you do not get more effects of the alcohol from that beer. Learned that lesson the hard way. Mm-hmm. Mm. I know. I get excited for a minute when she told me that. But turns out. Hmm.
1: Let's check in with the few pages that the core of the new Defenders team is on. What would you think of that little brief interlude where they're sending off Cloud and Haradin and Seraph to
2: S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, it was super brief. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know what to make of it other than it's setting things up for, like Beast says, Hey, Vision, they're going to come after you, so mm-hmm. hey, you got to come join my team. And vision sticking to his guns and saying nope, yeah he basically says no. I pay my taxes. Somebody else will take care of this
1: shit. Fuck off. Is that
2: how he sounds in the?
1: He probably sounds like a robot man. He sounds like a normal guy in the movies. Yeah, the movies are never accurate. Oh, that's true. A lot of people are very upset that he doesn't have a robot man voice in the movies. mm mm-hmm. the a lot of people. online forums are ablaze with um. Strife, criticism, strifeful criticism. Mm. They can't get enough of it. It's all over. The internet loves that. It's like robot man talk.
0: Mm.
1: That's because mostly it's old people that want him to talk like a robot. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Get the pitchforks.
1: Mm -hmm. Old people love pitchforks. Mm -hmm. This outdated music review source. (laughs) (laughs) There was a fun part in this at the beginning of the flash forward, I guess, that the tribunal is showing the OG Defenders, where there is a lot of conjecture on the part of an omniscient being, or apparently omniscient or near to it, whatever the tribunal is, where he starts by describing what Doctor Strange is feeling and thinking at a certain moment, and then it's like, "Eh, I think I'll just do some conjecture. You walk alone, Stephen Strange. Your thoughts as turbulent as that of the tempest which rages around you. In your heart is a vague ache, a gnawing emptiness that cries out to be filled, though how you cannot say. Perhaps that is why you turn your head heavenward. It's like, wait a minute, do you know this shit or not?
2: Yeah. So when I read that, though, I in my mind's eye I can see Steve nodding. Oh, like, yes. Hmm. I, I <laughs> yeah, totally can. Oh, yes. I think that's how
1: they suck Steve in. He's like. Yes, no, that sounds right. I am a very dramatic and Byronic hero in a lot of ways. real gothic, romantic type. Yes, yes, that all seems very reasonable. Still waters run deep. The deepest, yes. Even an omniscient being doesn't know why I do what I do. Tell me more! I certainly don't. (laughs) Keep going! Yes? Oh, and then you say that the other Defenders fucked up some more. This tribunal seems very fair. Legitimate. <laughs> that part really did crack me up. I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed, like, how into their storytelling the tribunal got with, like, Yes, he says, Torrid as the tempest which rages around him. Hmm, yes, yes. I'll allow it. <laughs> Sustained. No, I, I'm the judge here.
2: Overruled. Yeah, Steve is a lot smoother about confronting the tribunal. I love Namor just, he's like,
1: you know what, fuck you guys.
2: And he flies up to punch him and they swat him down.
1: I love that he did that after they blinked him out of existence for a it minute. It's such a bad idea. It's like a second later, he's like, nah, this is, this is bullshit.
2: Oh, man, it's, it's really dumb, his approach, mm-hmm. but I just appreciated it oh, so much. Oh, absolutely. Good for him. What a lovable idiot. Uh huh. You know,
1: you'd be surprised the amount of problems that you can solve with a hammer.
0: Yeah.
2: We um, know what happened to at least one of the elves. What's that? An unfortunate accident. Was that referencing something that happened in an earlier issue? Did we see yeah. the elf? We saw the elf get hit by a truck before, right? right? Yeah. Okay. No, that is, that is a
1: callback to David Craft's in my mind, more satisfying <laughs> and more appropriate resolution of the elf with a gun storyline, which is the elf is about to kill somebody and then he gets run over by a truck. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you find out, well, yeah, that one elf had a bad time, but the rest
2: of them we sent out to do this shit. Very clever. Mm-hmm. So I know we don't have a, uh, a timestamp category for The defenders, not traditionally,
1: but uh, what struck you about this as being particularly 1983?
2: So it wasn't so much uh placing it squarely in, in 83, but on I think page eight, there's a it begins somewhere in time, which of course always makes me think of the 1986 Iron Maiden record. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, was Bruce Dickinson reading this? And then I thought, no, probably not, because the cover of that's much more I don't know, blade runnery. Yeah, but I honestly, I bet if he saw the cover of this... Oh,
1: yeah. ...then he would have picked it up. I can see Iron Man being pretty into this imagery. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. It really is a gorgeous cover. It's by Sandy Plunkett and Alan Weiss. Although every time I do see the Plunkett at the bottom as part of the signature, for some reason, my mind turns that into... Kirby Puckett drew that comic book
2: cover? Who's Kirby Puckett?
1: He was a baseball player for the (laughs) Minnesota Twins, I
2: think. Yeah, that would be uh, a very broad skill set. Yeah. Assuming he plays baseball well. Yeah, he was a, a six-tool player, I guess.
1: The sixth tool being drawing comic book covers.
2: Oh.
1: Well, there's a ton more to talk about in this comic book, and I feel honestly kind of surprised that we're making this transition this early. But are you ready to move into the minutiae? Let's do it. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. it's not the biggest part, it's just minutia, Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff.
2: Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? I would like to get your opinion on why Angel has a uniform with an Oakley logo <laughs> on his chest. Is he kind Is of it... a jerk? I don't know. <laughs> well, these days... He is splitting his time
1: between superheroics and sitting in a truck making videos about why I'm a sheeple while wearing his Oakley sunglasses. Okay. Now, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be a halo. I know. I just, okay. it struck me as funny. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it is an odd choice, I think, having the halo on there where it's like a kind of oblique reference, but also like, no, get it? Get it? Because mm-hmm. of these things? I mean, the wings are doing the heavy lifting in that.
2: Literally. hmm I do like the contrast in his costume. So he's got a, a unitard that goes all the way up to the bottom of his chin. hmm And, I don't know, maybe connects to his cowl. Yeah. It makes a T
1: that goes down through his crotch.
0: hmm
1: Like, it's a red uniform on the cover. On the inside, same design, but with a blue base instead of a red base. And then, yeah, with a white tee that goes over his shoulders, down to, like, the middle of his form, and then down and over his crotch, almost like it's giving him a wedgie,
2: which, it just seems odd. Yeah, it's a little bit of a a weird look, and I know these are advanced materials, and they probably have, I don't know, like a Velcro Union suit flap or something, but Mm. I always find myself wondering, how do heroes get into and out of these things, and when they have to pee... Like, how do they yeah. deal with that? Because it looks like a really hard costume to get, especially with those wings.
1: Well, maybe that'll be cleared up when Angel actually appears in the comic book instead of just being on the cover. Maybe so. So I assume this is the sartorially speaking category. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I should oh, have said no, that. Oh, Quite all right. Yes, I thought that was a very interesting outfit that Angel has. Angel's not the only character in this book with a strange, crotular regioned outfit. You also get the aliens. They've got some kind of a washboard, metal, I don't know, pantaloon speedo thing going on. It's weird because you don't know what part of them is anatomy and what is costuming. But uh, yeah, just a, a, I don't know, bunt pan turned into underpants look for them.
2: They are oddly proportioned. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I find myself disappointed when... Pretty much every alien we run into is either a blob with eyeballs or a humanoid. But as far as humanoids go, these guys were weird enough that it was interesting. I was reminded initially of sea monkeys. Oh, totally. When I saw them. Not
1: actual sea monkeys which just look like brine shrimps, but the illustrations that are like, you can teach them to play basketball. Yep, not true. No, not true at all. They have no grasp of the fundamentals. They all just want to showboat. (laughs) There was a, I did. They're uncoachable.
2: I looked at some Sea Monkeys adverts in my research for this Mm -hmm. podcast, and uh, it does explicitly state they are trainable. I couldn't even get the fucking things to hatch when I was a kid. Regardless of how they are built, they are uncoachable. That's why nobody will
1: draft these Sea Monkeys. Good call. Yeah. One of the aliens, too, is wearing his cape sideways like he's a baron. Mm. And uh, that always cracks me up. Jaunty. Yeah. It's nice. Good for him. Mm -hmm. In terms of non-alien looks in this, Smart Hulk has way more of a Prince Valiant Bob than he normally does, and it is just such a bad look for him. It makes Smart Hulk look dumb. It really does. And it did make me wonder if, like, is Bruce Banner taking this guy to get haircuts now? And I think that is maybe the situation, and it's not good. He's like splitting the difference between like, well, I want it to look a little bit mussed up and, you know, leave it a little bit long, but it's still like I'm taking care of myself. And that hybrid look
2: is not good for him. It isn't. I, I don't know what it is about bangs like that. Maybe it's that it reminds me of the Nigel Tufnell character.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing or like a David Cassidy thing where it's like an intentional, a little bit sloppy look, but. Is so clearly manicured and just bad looking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It reminds me when I was in, I think, my freshman year in high school, I, I was growing my hair long, and my dad mandated that I had to keep it short on the sides and on top so I looked presentable, but I could grow my hair long. So I had a mm-hmm. mullet, I had an enforced mullet in the interest of respectability, and it was not a good look.
2: I was getting a haircut the other day and a young man was asking for what essentially is a mullet. Yeah. And the hairdresser was <laughs> like asking all these clarifying questions and then he said it basically like a mullet. And she's like, oh okay, okay. She was being gentle with him, but it was sure. like, Are you, you, know, you Are you, you sure you, you, you really do want me? this, yes? Okay.
1: okay. I don't know where we are on the irony of the mullet at this time in fashion, but if you want it it's yours. Yep, pretty much. Mm. Wasn't the only weird hair look in this book either. Because the elf with the gun, maybe I just never noticed it before, but it has always been the case with them. The goatee with no mustache, I feel like is a really bad look for these elves. Mm -hmm. I didn't really notice it until there's the one scene where Namor is picking him up by his neck. And it's just like, oh, that's like an Amish look. The beard, no mustache. Very rarely works. Mm -hmm. You ever try to pull one of those off? I
2: had a short goatee. But you had it without the mustache? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. No, I can't really pull off a a Van Dyke very well because the mustache doesn't connect to the beard super full. Oh, gotcha. So, it was always a bad look. Mm. Went for more of like a Scottian from Anthrax. (laughs) (laughs) Just gonna grow my one goatee really long.
1: Like a Scott, Ian, uh, Jim, the Anvil, Nightheart type of look. Yeah, it's you know, kind of how I roll. <laughs> right. I've always thought of you as a hybrid between those two. Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Hub. 90s were, a th- yeah. we're an okay time. <laughs> <laughs> they were a different time when everyone's <laughs> facial hair was horrible. It's true. But on Elf with a Gun, speaking of horrible facial hair, it doesn't even look like a goatee so much as just a soul patch that got way out of hand. Mm it's wispy and it's wrong and uh it maybe has been his look the whole time he is a real piece of shit so maybe i was just like yeah makes sense mm-hmm. but uh it's a bad
2: look yeah fuck that guy any other fashion uh no i just had the uh, the sea monkeys and the uh the oakleys <laughs> what else is there <laughs> <laughs> what else is there really oh yeah soul patch long soul patch just that's <laughs> right <laughs> Put the three of those together. No, thank you. You've got a look. You've got an early
1: 90s band. Every issue of a Defenders comic book has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue, who did you have as your best and who did you have as
2: your worst? For best, it was a bit of a toss up. On one hand, I really want to go with Hulk for A, trying to talk some sense into Namor. Mm Mm-hmm. And then catching him in a really cute manner, yeah, as he got struck down by the tribunal, uh-huh, catching him in his emerald arms, yeah, yeah. I just that whole scene was pretty charming. But also, he's supposed to be smart Hulk and trying to talk logic to Namor when Namor's pissed off is that's also a bad yeah. Move. So I I can't quite give it to him because of that. So I'm gonna go back to I think what I had in the last Defenders, which is Vision for sticking to his principles of hey, you know what? There's people to do this job, and I do not want to do this job. I will not join your HOA. No, thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Like, he really stuck to it. Good for him.
1: I think that's a really solid choice. I did end up going with Hulk, and I understand what you're saying, but what put him over the top for me was that he was attending a uh, Marx Brothers film. Seeing like a 35 millimeter print of the Marx Brothers, (laughs) good for him, man. That was pretty cute. A lot of humor from that era really does not stand up. By and large, for me at least, the better Marx Brothers movies really do. Like, actually funny. I haven't seen them
2: since I was a kid,
1: I don't think. They don't all hold up, but Duck Soup in particular, really funny. Mm. My backup was the Silver Surfer for being the one character in the book, and, and I would say including the book itself, that actually showed compassion for Luann Bloom, or the Luann Bloom bot, as it were. I felt so bad for her when she was just saying, not true, not true, not true, not true. Like, literally, her mind cannot comprehend what is happening. And you see tears streaming down her robot face. And yeah, Silver Surfer's like, look, I don't care if she's a woman or a robot. You're clearly causing her distress. Knock it off. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, good for him. But he didn't go to any Marx Brothers movies, so I went with the
2: Hulk. Fair enough. Conversely, who did you have as your worst? So... I did kind of want to give it to Steve for interrupting Hulk's Marx Brothers fast. <laughs> yep. That was on my short list. He also interrupted Namor's
1: dolphin frolic, and the dolphin looks pissed about that. Yeah. He's like,
2: we were just getting down to it. Seriously, I... Steve? I know. Come on. I know, and there's probably like a lot of dolphins and only one Namor, so mm-hmm. kind of missed his shot. Yeah. But ultimately, I went with Beast because I'm... Annoyed at him, and I know it has to be this way, I guess, because he's going to be the leader of the new Defenders and whatnot, or he wants to be. Yeah. But Vision already told you no in a very direct and understandable way. Yeah. So don't be like the guy that showed up at my house trying to sell me stuff, even though I have a no soliciting sign. Ooh. I was very unhappy. I can understand that. And because Beast reminded me of that experience, (laughs) I, I gave him the worst. Tough but fair. I
1: did go with Steve for a couple of reasons, interrupting the dolphin frolic, interrupting the Marx Brothers movie, did win back a few points for also interrupting Silver Surfer flying over the Himalayas and thinking to himself, probably, maybe I will engage in a little bit more cocaine and pre (laughs) boaz anthropology, (laughs) but what put him way over the top was his decision making. Once he gets captured by the aliens, who he knows that they're not really doing anything bad. They're just kidnapping some humans and draining their life force. It's because they are afraid. It's just because they want to. Because Mm -hmm. they want to cure their leader. Because that's what you do when you've got a monarchy. Even if it's an enlightened space monarchy. Harmless kidnapping and life draining. Yeah. But when he had a mission that required diplomacy and subtlety, and nuance, and he could choose to astrally project his Ghost Steve to anybody in the world. He's like, this clearly requires the Hulk, Namor, and Silver Surfer. Bad job team-making, buddy. Do you want a fucking spaceship full of dead aliens because that's how you get a spaceship full of dead aliens and that
2: is what he got and that is what he got steve was the worst offender this issue i guess i mean if you're going by numbers a spaceship (laughs) full of dead aliens is a better reason to pick a worse defender than he reminded me of a guy trying (laughs) to sell bug control but well i get it i don't like a pushy salesman either i I told him no very clearly and he kept talking Mm. i shut the door good did you call him buddy? Oh, I should have. <laughs> Next time. Here, here are options: buddy, pal, ace.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: Next time. I think I called the guy pal at the movie theater that was talking on his phone that one time. I I don't think I've ever called anybody. Pal I was so mad like that I was very surprised at how mad I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm pal saying mad. Whoa, whoa. Sat back down. My heart was pounding.
1: <laughs> Okay, do you think the word pulsating is from somebody mispronouncing pal-saying? Like, I had a pulsating rage. I had a pal-saying rage. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I would assume so. Yeah, English mm-hmm. is full of words like that. hmm Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue?
2: Uh, I had two choices. I really like. The sound of a falling Steve. <laughs> you mean, wonk? Yep. Made a resounding wonk. It cracked me up so
1: much to see that. I, I mean, there's part of me that's gonna be amused whenever anybody falls from a great height. Mm-hmm. But when it's Steve and when it makes no noise, wonk. Extra funny. Totally reminded me of being in the movie theater and seeing a preview for a movie called Stepmom, which I have still not seen. But there is a scene where a kid's on the monkey bars, (laughs) and he falls flat on his face off the monkey bars. This little kid, (laughs) and it makes like a sub noise. I could not stop laughing, and then like it's like Susan Sarandon and Julia Roberts are like, no like running in slow motion to try to rescue uh, the kid. it wasn't meant to be funny. It wasn't meant to be funny. And I was laughing so hard at everybody in the movie theater it was just like, what the fuck is that guy's problem? And I was like, you never show the kid landing if you're going to do that. Oh, that's too funny. It was way too funny. So I really did enjoy the word wonk as a sound effect and specifically as that sound effect. However, I think I might slightly prefer... Another sound effect from the same page, and that is an alien gun making the noise, B! Mm. <laughs> just B and then five E's. That's just a funny noise for a ray gun to make. It is. It's almost cute. The rest of the time they're going Z, but that guy had a special gun that
2: mm-hmm. went, B! He was running out of batteries. <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> what was your other sound effect? Ah, uh, My other sound effect I just picked because of the acronym
1: aspect, and that was BAMF. BAMF is nice, and that's also the noise that a teleportation makes, and so that's uh, that's Nightcrawler's teleporting
2: noise. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, nice. BAMF. BAMF. Mm-hmm. And Nightcrawler is a BAMF. So pretty good. Pretty good.
1: Cory, I got a question for you. hmm Behold or begone. Kirby Crackle cereal. Do you want to eat a big bowl of Kirby Crackles? Because we see in this issue in two different panels, on page 5 and I believe on page 12, the guy from the tribunal is apparently eating some Kirby Crackles. You see a close-up of his mouth, and inside it and only inside of it are a bunch of little glowing black dots. And it looks like he is eating clusters of kirby crackle cereal if there was a kirby crackle cereal you want to eat some of that
2: i would like to purchase it and have it as a thing to keep because that would be cool but i feel like if i ate that i would have a similar effect to the tribunal guy on me maybe i would look like i was under a black light hmm. and my teeth would be glowing all creepy yeah and also i'm not a fan of uh, sugary cereals it's sugary, I, right? I would assume so. Not a savory cereal. I think it's
1: probably, like, sugar-coated antimatter. Yeah. And uh, I gotta say, I am a fan of sugary cereals. I don't often eat them, mm. just because I don't eat that much cereal. But uh, when I do, it always tastes good. makes the milk taste real good. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm curious as to what sugar-coated
2: antimatter tastes like. You're a braver man than I, but uh, also your constitution is stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, don't get me wrong.
1: It is going to wreck my toilet. <laughs> I mean, for one thing, just that much dairy, but also the antimatter, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. and the sugar. It's not going to be a pleasant experience. No, I would choose to not be here. <laughs> okay, so no Kirby Crackle Crunch for you. Oh, no. that's also bad news. Uh, I think we're going to need to come up with a new name because I don't want a cereal that's <laughs> KKK. <laughs>
0: Kirby fucking
2: Crackle. Kirby fucking crackle cereal, yeah, yeah. I can't say that it's a kid's product. Yeah, Jesus, Corey. Right?
1: You you got you know how hard it is to get kids to eat their antimatter. It's true. Well, regardless of what name we end up coming up with, uh, I do want to eat that cereal, and you do not. So it sounds like we've got one behold and one begone. That is true. I'll put it in the spreadsheet. You don't do that (laughs) for anything. (laughs) I don't know what a spreadsheet is.
2: Corey, what was your favorite panel of this issue? That is a tough question because this issue is full of good art.
1: I wouldn't say necessarily full of good art. I think there is some very, very good art in this overall. It did seem a little bit rushed, and perhaps just by virtue of the fact that there was so much prose in it, a lot of the figures were just smaller in background. But the panels that were good were really, really
2: good. And perhaps that is why I let the less good ones just wash over me. Nah, you're a better man than I. It is a skill. Well, what were the panels that did stand out to you as being particularly good? The first one that stood out and... I kind of have this pattern of appreciating panels that have a, a geometric graphic quality to them. hmm And when Steve finally becomes fed up with one of the elves, he casts the sphere of Safindum mm. On this elf. And it I don't That's know. That's his spirograph sphere. Is yeah, it, that that it. Yeah, it's really cool. It looks like uh I don't know, he got a fancy plant holder from West Elm or something <laughs> <laughs> oh I was thinking it looked like he uh he got a bubble wand you know ah but they're all uniform and interlocking
1: it's a uh, it's pretty neat it is pretty neat as I said I did find the art in this a little inconsistent but there were still a lot to choose from one of my favorites is the one that I call beast shut down oh I called that one no <laughs> <laughs> yeah vision listen to me it was you they wanted this time, and knowing the Empire, they'll be back. We gotta be ready for them. Now, if you and Wanda wanna throw in with the Defenders, we can... No. no. Yep, I had that one also in my short list. Like, satisfying to see Vision just sticking with his guns and not even brooking any argument. Especially, I hate it that Beast is like, you know, we'd be willing to take you in. Just subtly manipulative. I don't care for it. Good for the Vision and just a beautifully drawn panel too, especially the shading on Wanda's face in that is really, really good. And the sternness of Vision's face really comes across. Yeah,
2: it is a good one. And I hate that when people try and sell you something, like Mm -hmm. they're doing you a favor when they're asking you to do something. Yeah. Oh, that drives drives me up the wall. The worst. Hey, Hub, you want to come demo another kitchen and be good for your health? (laughs) Well, I mean, now I don't. (laughs) Other than that, I kind of do. That
1: was fun. (laughs) It was fun, yeah. You know what's a corollary to that that I also hate? Mm. Is when you agree to do somebody a favor and then they downplay how much of a favor it is. Like, can you give me a ride home? Like, yeah, I can do that. I mean, it's pretty much right on your way. It's like, dude, I agreed to do that. Don't try to make it seem like less of a favor. I don't want to give you a ride home. And now I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. Then I push them down. Tough. I don't really. I still give them a ride home, but I I subtly frown.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, if they catch that, it's going to hurt. Yeah. I'll, I'll be, like, pushing them down yeah, that... with my heart. Ouch. It's the strongest muscle.
1: <laughs> and you're giving it quite a workout, buddy. Oh, shit. <laughs> I also loved, uh, on page 13, I think we had talked about it already, when Steve decides to levitate up. That's the other one I had. The the proof. It's so good. I call it the proof. It's really cool looking. Steve looks a little like Dennis Farina in that panel. Oh, he does. But uh, yeah, just really nice close up on his face. You can see the kind of resignation to I'm going to be getting some bad news and I don't want it, but I should see it. It's really impressive that they're able to get that much nuance in the expression. On his face. And I really loved that. Yeah. And the use of light and shadow in there, too, is top notch. And color, too. Just great stuff. My other option in this, I really do like the Marx Brothers scene, particularly seeing Chico drawn that well is nice. But there is a panel at the bottom of page 21 that I call Everybody's Eyebrow Acting. (laughs) And you see the Hulk doing some serious eyebrow acting. And Namor, I mean, he's always doing eyebrow acting, but like he's he's got berserk eyebrows going on. Just the surprise on everyone's face, but particularly with the Hulk, I don't know enough about art to know how they do it, but when you see the Hulk's face, you can tell that he's smart Hulk. Like, regular Hulk would never make that face, mm-hmm. but smart hulk can look surprised in a different way than angry hulk can and it's just really well done yeah i feel like angry hulk only has like neutral and angry but he can also be like sad but you can still tell he's hulk yeah. you know yeah that's true. with this it's like his face is somehow showing intelligence and i don't know how you do that but they you, do a good do, job
2: you do it just fine oh thanks they <laughs> <Good> try <laughs>
1: That strongest muscle's getting another workout right now, Corey. That's what I'm here for, my (laughs) friend. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel this issue? What
2: words did you like best? Much like you would like a pie, were that pie not made out of steel? Mine came from page five and it's a combination of exposition that then leads into something a character is saying mm-hmm. and it's my favorite because i learned a new word which was of interest to me i will read this and you tell me which word that is which okay word you think it is a cold skirling light seems to seep into their minds their very souls and then and then it tr- transitions to hulk in the name of heaven for an instant it seemed that we ceased to exist was it exist it was... Skirling? Skirling. Yeah. Did you look that one up? No. I just let it wash over me. What
1: is skirling oh, mean? Oh, good
2: call. So, initially, it came from Scandinavian languages, which mean, it meant to shriek or to yell. Oh, okay. And then, in round about 1600s, it got adopted as a way to describe the sound that uh, bagpipes make. Huh. How is it spelled?
1: S-K-I-R-L-I-N-G. It's interesting that that means yelling, because I do think that in Scandinavian, the captain of a ship would be called it Skrull. So maybe they were yelling at people. Oh, well, it's probably what they have to do. Uh, I would.
2: Swap the poop deck. Yeah, nobody's going to swap the poop deck if you don't yell at him. I wouldn't. No way. The thing's called a poop deck for a reason. I probably also wouldn't if you yelled at me. I would be
1: a bad poop deck guy. You know what? If you're a bad poop deck guy, then that's on me as your skirl. Sorry. It's okay. Just reflects on me. Sorry.
2: Still won't swallow that poop, Dick? Please don't yell. <laughs> <laughs> I do not like that. I got yelled at the other day. What? At work by a co-worker. What? Dude lost his shit. It was crazy. What did he yell at you for? Oh, it was just work stuff that I... and follow some stupid process that he made <laughs> up. What did you do? Did you call I... him pal? No. Oh, that's very big I of said you. to a grown man, I understand that you're upset. <laughs> Wow. But blah 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 blah. But
1: maybe you need a timeout. <laughs> Pretty much. It was a satisfying thing to say. <laughs> Man, I would hate to get yelled at. I mean when I was working in the service industry, I did get yelled at some and I really hated it. But it's been a while since I've been yelled at. I don't think I would take it very well.
2: No, it's awful. And this situation was weird because it was uh three people on this call mm-hmm. and one person was getting yelled at, who was the person that did the thing that the guy didn't like. But, you know, I was sort of involved and I felt like I had to, I don't know, defuse the yelling that was happening at the person because they had no fucking idea what they had done wrong. Yeah. And I did. And then he yelled at you? Yeah. I was like, no, that's my fault. I was, I was on that thing and I should have said not to do that thing. And so it was just a mess. But anyway. Man. <laughs> the fire hose turned my direction. That guy should go to jail. I mean, I'm a prison abolitionist. <laughs> but not for people who yell at people. You'll go to yelling jail. Oh, boy. Yeah, that hadn't happened since I left some tables on Boston. This waiter got really <laughs> mad. <laughs> like, that was a long time ago. That's the worst. That guy was a jerk. Sounds like it. <sighs> Fucking can't, yellers. Can't bust a table. I had to go smoke a
1: cigarette, man. <laughs> <That> was important. <laughs> Come on. Did you put it in that context? No, I should have. Yeah, I, I think then he would have understood. Probably. I had a couple of choices for favorite words. Some of them we already heard. I did really like the speech that the tribunal guy gives to Steve about what he was probably thinking and what he was actually thinking and what he was feeling I thought that was really well done and it also cracked me up but Steve has an expression that I don't think that I've heard him make before by the mystic maze of madness Ooh, it's pretty good that is pretty good and yeah I thought it was fun Corey, let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. Yeah, I put some more vibrato on it that
2: time. I saw that. It I heard pretty that. pretty good, huh? I saw it and heard it. Yeah. What band names were you able to find in the text of this comic? Well, the first one that I am surprised, but also, I guess, in retrospect, not surprised, was a band that I wanted to use, but I can't use because they are a defunct ska band from St. Louis. (laughs) Of course they were. Is Banff! There you go. Mm -hmm. It's a good name, though. Yeah, pretty good. So, in the absence of that being available, I did have one that I'm still trying to figure out what they sound like. Maybe... Some kind of music that requires more thought than I would probably like to put into listening to it. Mm. Like, I don't know. Some fill-up glasses is fine. Some, I feel like maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. Like, maybe it falls into that kind of composer stuff. So, it's a collective of piano players. Oh. Called the uh, Chronal Ethers. Oh, shit. The Chronal Ethers is good.
1: Thank you. I mean, I wouldn't recommend them, but it's a pretty good name. <laughs> It's the band you would recommend to people if you wanted them to think that you were smart. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's a very good band name. My first choice was the Heirs of Neptune.
2: Heirs, like, uh, like Inheritant? Yeah. Oh,
1: that's nice. Which, the fact that they're called the Heirs of Neptune makes me think that they're secret horses is the conceit of the band. What? Because a lot of Poseidon or Neptune's kids were horses. Because he's the god of horses.
2: What? I thought he was a sea dude. Yeah, he's the god of the sea and horses. Those things don't add up. The horses swim? How do they swim with those, horses those do? hoof things? You They're mean hooves? Hooves? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those weird feet they got. They can't swim with those.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But that's why the whole uh, the Trojan horse thing pissed off beside him. That's why he's out to get Odysseus. Okay. Because he's like, ah, you fucked up a big wooden horse. That's supposed to be for me. Oh, man. And yeah, so he was pissed. But yeah, like, Pegasus is Neptune's kid. No. Yeah, he's Pegasus's dad. Whoa. So I feel like the heirs of Neptune are secret horses. So they probably got a lot of songs like, I I don't even like oats. (laughs) Or like, my head is a normal size, (laughs) you know? Oh, so yeah, that's the heirs of Neptune, and you know probably like maybe a sea shanty too.
2: When I heard that, I immediately went to surf music, like oh. a, like Dick Dale, Adventures, Aqua Velvets. Okay, so Mir- maybe it Mir- is Men.
1: maybe it is surf music that is about how they don't even like oats, <laughs> or have normal sized. Yeah, we are totally or, not horses. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't terrify hub. Apples are disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want any. If you had a sugar cube, that'd be fine, but I don't need it. so that's the heirs of neptune okay i also thought pretty good band name probably better band name from my perspective than band but uh the gentlest of souls oh i feel like they're like a little bit too twee for my taste maybe kind of bright eyesy this
2: not really my thing, but they're probably on a lot of Wes
1: Anderson soundtracks.
2: Yeah, and it's it's funny you bring that up because I think that they have actually been on the same bill several times with with one of my other choices, which is the swelling emotions. Oh.
1: Very emo. Mm. I like
2: the swelling emotions. That's pretty good too.
1: Yeah. Eh, not my cup of tea, but decent band names. Mm-hmm. My final choice is one that I think is a band that I would like. I don't know if it's got the strongest name. I am surprised that it is not a band name, but Whirling Maelstrom. Ooh. Just kind of, you know, epic sounding. I think would go well with the cover of this comic book. Oh, yeah. I think of the ones we got, probably my favorite was The
2: Chronal Ethers. Yeah.
1: I think that's just a really good band name.
2: Well, if you're ready for the five piano assault of their mathy composed music, <laughs> let's go, let's go yeah, for it. Yeah, I
1: mean, I'm not ready for it, but well, I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> well, Corey, we both know that despite his haircut, the Hulk rules. In this issue,
2: what are the Hulk's rules? Hulk took a note firsthand from Namor's behavior, which is that if you have hard evidence that there is an extreme power or ability differential between you and somebody else, and that somebody else is a bear, don't poke that bear. Yeah, when someone blinks you out of existence for the first time, believe them. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think that is a very solid rule. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself tumbling into waiting Emerald Arms. Which, you know, things could be worse. But <laughs> sure. I, for one, would love to live in the Emerald Arms apartments. Doesn't that sound like a pleasant place? Oh Yeah, I believe that's next to uh, to one of my properties, Stately Whitney Manor. <laughs> mm, they've got a pool. I think that's an excellent rule for the Hulk to have. Thank you. I had the Hulk's rule being one that you might appreciate, Corey. If you're undertaking a big international project... You need localization
2: engineers. Oh, good for you. That is nice.
1: <laughs> well, he saw what the tribunal did with their elf situation. They went in with a vague understanding of the situation. And were like, like, oh, let's see, what do we know about elves? Uh, they like weight range weapons. They're small. They're dicks. Let's go forward with it without asking any questions or doing any deep research or consulting someone who knows about these things or knows how to find out. And so, yeah doing a big project, did a bad job, because mm-hmm. they didn't hire localization engineers. Yep. You don't hire localization
2: engineers, what do you get? Elfs with a gun. Mm-hmm. Or, if you're Hewlett Packard, you get a sign at your headquarters in Costa Rica that says, Achepe, which is short for something else that's not flattering. What? Uh, puta. Oh, Sound of a bad word. Yeah.
1: <sighs> bad job, Hewlett Packard. Bad job, Tribunal. Bad job, Coca Cola, for having bite the wax tadpole being their phonetic translation of enjoy coke. Was that it? Or, depending on dialect, female horse stuffed with wax. Mm. Not the best one of those, though, because I remember from your handbook when you first started working at Lingo Systems, they had Purdue. Where they translated, it takes a tough man to make a tender chicken, as it takes an aroused man to make a chicken affectionate. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, it's not wrong, but it's not right.
2: <laughs> no, it's it's wrong. <laughs> it's all wrong. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not incorrect. <laughs> you don't know what it takes to make a chicken affectionate, but I'm pretty sure... I do, Corey. Is.
1: I hired a localization <laughs> engineer. Well it turns out is this is actually in our yeah, house first. No, that's what uh that's what chickens are super into. They no. love boners. <laughs> that's not No, this it's not, probably no. not true that there, chickens love boners. There's no
2: way to test. No. But that's the hoax rules. <laughs> chickens don't <the> boners? <laughs> oh <No. laughs> That's a bad rule, hub. Jeez. Take it up with the Hulk. Okay, I thought he was smart hook. <laughs> <laughs> he's got high
1: intelligence, maybe some low wisdom.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that, yeah, yeah.
1: Corey, I have just one more question I have to ask you in the year of our Lord nineteen eighty three and the month of our Lord, October.
2: What Wong doings was Wong doing? So this is a little different because I feel like often when I'm describing Wong doings, he's either having uh contributed. To something big mm-hmm. or is getting steve out of some stupid situation that steve has gotten him into and and this one is a lot more pedestrian it's well established wong is a fan of technology and has a has a deep interest in, in sciences and technology sure and everything that goes with that which is why in october of 1983 he had made his way to chicago because he had heard that that's where he could get himself a Motorola Dynatac, which was the first cell phone that came out. And it turns out, actually, that this, the first commercial cell phone call that was ever made was in Chicago on the 13th of October. So he had saved up his wages from Steve and paid his $3,995, which in today's money is around 12000 bucks. Jeez. For uh, the first cell phone. Wow. That came out. And it was a uh,
1: Dynatac? Yeah, Motorola product. Did he uh, have to use it with grape Kool-Aid? So you no, know, when I was a kid and they gave me Dine Attack, I
2: always had to have it in grape Kool-Aid, or a or gag a little. Uh, no, it stands for something else. Oh, okay. I don't, I didn't write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's okay. It's a long acronym. Oh, okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, wow, well, good for him. That may be
1: one thing that Wong was up to in October of nineteen eighty-three, but it wasn't the only thing. See. A couple of months previous, Wong and Steve had really bonded over their shared appreciation of a recent film release. And so in October, they decided that that would be the uh, the basis of their new Halloween costumes. They were going to dress up as Bob and Doug McKenzie from Strange Brew. (laughs) Oh my gosh. They were so into it. They loved it. Like Wong would be like, hey, hoser. And Steve would be like, Oh, no, it is you who is the hoser, eh? Oh, hoser? Hoser. Yeah, Take it. off, hoser. Did they get a dog for their costume and name him hoser, too? They, they had an astral dog. Okay. Yeah, uh, Steve has a ghost dog friend okay. these days. But the problem was, as you may have noticed, uh, Steve's accent wasn't really all that great. He doesn't do a wonderful Canadian accent. He's not the master of accents the way that you are. And so uh, Wong sure is. saw himself an opportunity to uh, maybe kill two birds with one stone here, get Steve to do a little bit of extra research, and, you know, maybe along the way uh, see a concert that he was pretty excited about. Which is why, on October 21st, Wong and Steve called up their good friends Wolverine and, uh, I don't know, probably Puck from Alpha Flight, and headed up to Montreal to see... Black Sabbath, in concert, at the Montreal Forum. Nice. And this is the tour that Spinal Tap actually parodied, because they had a big Stonehenge set that I did not realize the extent to which this was based on something that happened. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, no, it was for this Black Sabbath tour. They had a big Stonehenge set that got accidentally made life-size. They wanted a scaled down version of it, but it was made way too big and way too heavy, and it was a huge pain in the ass because when they were taking notes for the people that were making the props, they had written down the wrong thing. Oh my gosh. So they went up, they saw that show. The show itself was a little bit of a mess. It was with vocalist Ian Gillian from Deep Purple, (laughs) was the vocalist for Black Sabbath at this point, and he was having trouble with the lyrics and so he actually had them written down for himself but there was so much dry ice on the stage that he couldn't see his notes for them so that was a little bit of an issue but they had a pretty good time at the show steve was able to work on his accent a little bit but then he had his whole run-in with elf with a gun whenever he saw a toque like the elf with a gun had, right with a pom-pom on the top uh-huh. a toque A toque. A toque. You mean a toque? I do not, apparently. (laughs) We got a lot of feedback from our Canadian listeners informing me that you were mistaken about the pronunciation of toque and that uh, I had been right all along. And listeners, I do appreciate you letting me know. So keep doing it. Keep them coming. Anytime Corey is mistaken about anything, make sure you send those letters those emails, those gifts, those gifts, and I will make sure to forward them all to Corey. Animated um,
2: GIF about me saying toque.
1: <laughs> yeah. But when Steve saw a toque, A what? For his costume. <laughs> oh, uh, a toque, uh, <laughs> okay. A hat. A yes, beanie. Yes. Uh, 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 well, uh, well, a toboggan. <laughs> not a toboggan. Oh. That was another thing that a couple of people pointed out. It's also not called a toboggan. A toboggan is a sled. Yeah. Corey was wrong. Do you want to say that again? <laughs> ah, you heard me. No, I, I did. But when Steve saw a toque for his Bob McKenzie costume, he was like, oh, no, no, we, we won't be doing that. Um, here's a red pair of glasses. I'll be Sally Jesse Raphael. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Sally Jesse Raphael show had debuted earlier that oh, month on geez. October 17th. And so when they went out trick-or-treating... They both dressed as Sally Jesse Raphael because Steve also could not abide by seeing Wong wearing a toque. And, you Wat know, Wong ran into some crooks, did a little bit of crime fighting in his Sally Jesse Raphael outfit, got right. to use some of his martial arts, and was seen by a vacationing Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And they saw somebody wearing what looked like a red bandana. Oh, my God. uh, Doing some martial arts stuff. And they said, who who is that guy? And Steve says, it's Sally Dressler Raphael. But he slurred the beginning of it. So they just heard, like, Raphael. And uh, a a lot of people don't know that. But uh, that was the actual origin of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Some people think erroneously that it was a parody of the new Titans mixed with uh, some of the ninja stuff that Frank Miller was doing in Daredevil and that Splinter was supposed to be a play on stick Stick. Uh... and, you know, the Foot Clan Mm -hmm. versus the Hand. But no, no, no. It was just they saw Wong in his Sally Jesse Raphael costume. Doing some martial arts, and we're like, oh, like a bald guy's got a bald like, turtle head. Okay, I get it. Wow. Yeah. And that's the Wong doings that Wong was doing in October
2: of 1983. I was wondering how you were going to bring up the whole Took thing after all those text messages <laughs> you sent me. <laughs> Sorry, it's okay. <laughs> well, Corey,
1: thanks so much. I had a great time hanging out with you and talking about this comic book and a slightly early. Happy birthday to you as well. Tomorrow is your birthday. Yay. As we were recording this, when it gets released, it'll be a little bit in the rearview mirror. But uh, I can't think of anyone I would rather celebrate your birthday with than you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And I had a great time talking about this comic book with you. I'm looking forward to covering some new Titans with you next week. And it's not just forwards of screenshots of people correcting you that that I delivered you. I also at our PO box we had a very nice birthday card for you from one of our listeners. I believe he sent you one last year as well. Indeed,
2: I'm excited to see this. So I, I'm I'm curious too. Do you want to open it up? Shall we? Yeah. All right. So this is from Chris. Thank you, Chris, for sending us, sending me. Yeah, it was not for me. The card is not your birthday. No, but it, it's from me
1: too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's um from <laughs> me. Oh you see it after you open it and, and you'll name. see that it's uh You gonna put your name on it by by me too. It's from both of us.
2: Uh-huh. It's from me and Chris. Don't worry, Chris. I I know it's from you. It's from both of us. Wow. Oh man, that is good. We have a picture of uh Damon Hellstrom pointing directly at me saying, Your day is coming, Corey.
1: Yeah. Uncle Sam style doing the finger point.
2: Yeah. Very well rendered. Nice work. Have a hell of a birthday. <laughs> yeah, because because
1: he's, uh, I don't know if you know this about Damon Hellstrom, hmm. his dad's Satan. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's got
2: connections. It is a good pun. <laughs> Get a Patsy Walker. Oh my gosh, and Rosenbloom. Look at that. Oh, nice.
1: We have a little, little ad that is placed in this birthday card from uh, the Rosenbloom Associates. You want to read the ad copy?
2: Have you, a loved one or an affiliate, in a non-team, been injured financially, physically, emotionally, or psychically by Richmond Industries or any of its employees or owners, I'm Herschel Rosenblum of Rosenblum, Rosenblum, and Goy. (laughs) And I am filing a class action lawsuit to get you the compensation you deserve twice as much if we settle at night. Ah, Uh, pretty good. Call today, 1-800-GET-KYLE. And you can see he has his TV on in the
1: background, so clearly he is in a meeting with Kyle at the time. Clearly. Very nice.
2: Man, awesome. Thank you so much. This is going in the collection. You're welcome, Corey. It is not from
1: you. It's from both of us.
2: If you would like to get into touch
1: with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense PO Box 20311 Portland, Oregon 97294, or, as this is the future, we can also be reached electronically, can you imagine such a thing, at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on the internets in various nooks and crannies that the cybernetic world has to offer. So just slather your e-butter all over the, um, <laughs> internet? And then we'll move our cyber muffin shop to America.
0: <laughs> what?
1: It was very coherent, Corey. I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> You're just very drunk. You probably had five gallons of water with your beer. <laughs> I had only one beer. And, and not no, no gallons of water? No water. water oh. Well, then, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> <laughs> Make our list. The hay. If you can't find us using those very clear instructions I gave you via a very, very easy-to-understand metaphor, there is one more place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. If all that E-butter hasn't hardened your <laughs> arteries. I'm sure it hasn't. No, they, it's the
2: strongest muscle. Yeah,
1: strongest one we got. And, you know, E-butter is, is the good kind of cholesterol. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's you
2: gonna be doing in people's hearts, Hub?
1: Me? Yeah. Oh, this is highly unorthodox. Sorry. Well, no, it's your birthday, birthday boy. I'm going to be, um... Slathering muffins in butter <laughs> Yeah. You nailed it. Got it in one. Ah. I'm gonna, yep, just be filling all those nooks. And... That's an English muffin. Yeah, It's a, it's a cyber English muffin. Oh, sorry. You know what I'm going to be doing in people's hearts this week? I'm going to be hanging out with my family. My niece and nephew are visiting from Los Angeles, and I've been having a great time hanging out with them. They are basically grown-ups at this point. It's horrifying. They're they're 15 years old, and I disapprove in general of the idea of anyone being 15, but them specifically. Not true, not true, not true, not true. true, Despite that, they're neat guys, and I'm having fun hanging out with them.
2: Yeah, I'm going to be doing the same thing.
1: All right. I look forward to it. Yeah, seems like a pretty good time. Indeed. I was telling you beforehand, uh, Molly Mm -hmm. taught herself shorthand after reading Dracula. (sighs) Kids. Impressive. Yeah. If you would like to help support the show, you can uh, check us out at patreon.com slash TT Wasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material that is up there as a thank you for making it possible for us to keep doing the show. We've been at it a while now, and we'd like to be at it for a while more. So uh, anything you can do is very helpful and very much appreciated in that regard. And if you do donate, you get access to a whole bunch of stuff. There's podcasts, there's videos, there's just a whole bunch of extra material that is exclusively available to our donors. So, thank you. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary manner, yeah, I bet you can figure something out. Why don't you just uh, write us a review? We've gotten some very nice reviews on the interwebs lately. That's been a nice time. As part of my birthday present to Cory, I'm not going to put him on the spot this time and make him come up with something.
2: So, happy birthday, buddy. Thanks. I only say the same thing every <laughs> show, but I appreciate that. You know what? Take the week off from there. <laughs> oh, that's
1: big of you. Very. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a market. Huh? No, huh?
2: don't telemarket. market
1: No, cold call some people, and if they say they don't want to listen to the show, just keep talking. Knock on some doors, somebody slams them in your face, call them pal. Turn the tables on them, now they're your pal. Oh. That'll teach them, <laughs> a... and that'll make everybody love our show. The way
2: of the world. To Keep going. <laughs> Corey, you make this look so easy. <laughs> huh? Needed to say that last bit in a Macho Man Randy Savage voice. You had a kind of... You make it look so easy. No, the previous part. It's a real speaking from the heart moment you're doing. Well, What did I say? I don't know. Turn the tables, friends, enemies, pals.
1: <laughs> friends, enemies, pals. Looking down and out in all directions. And I've slithered with the snakes and soared with the eagles and everything in between. I am the host of Titan of the Defense, <laughs> and I am your friend. This is Hub, and for him, Corey, speaking from the heart. See? Yeah.
0: Bye! Bye! And they knew it! <sighs>
1: tall can. And put a lot of beer in it. Yeah. Do you want me to get you five gallons of water to dump it into? I'm good. All right. You don't want to get too too I I gotta drive home, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Stupid English. Mm. Hard for the homeopathy of languages. (laughs) (laughs) The more we dilute it, the stronger it is.
0: Oh, huh? all right.